Galatians chapter number 3 in your Bible. We're going to look at verses 15 through 22. And as we go verse by verse throughout the Bible, we, there are passages that we come to that are, that are great. They're really easy. They're simple to understand. You know, when, uh, when the passage says God is love, it doesn't take a lot of, you know, me explaining what that means, right? It pretty much says that. But sometimes as we go verse by verse through the Bible, we're going to come to passages like Galatians chapter number 3, verses 15 through 22, where we need a little bit more explanation of what in the world is God trying to say here and what does it mean for my life. And so in the first part of the message, I got to take just a few moments to kind of lay out the theological idea of what God was trying to say. And then at the end, we'll, we'll apply it to how it affects our life today. You guys with me? If you're with me, go ahead and like, nah, you're all right, good? All right, awesome, all right? And so I'm so glad that you're here, and we'll, we'll walk through this together. I'm excited about it. I'm excited about everything that God is doing here. I'll tell you, to be honest with you, there's pretty much nothing I'm not excited about, all right? Because I'll tell you, we can live negative, and we can, oh, woe is me, or we can say, you know what? Hey, I'm alive. I'm breathing. I got eyesight. I got another day that God has given to me. I'm going to live it to the fullest because I'm not promised tomorrow. We're not promised tomorrow. You know that, right? We're not promised next week. We have today, and so this is the day that the Lord has made. I will what? I'll rejoice and be glad in it. Some of you need to change that word back to rejoice. Some of you say, this is the day that the Lord has made. It's time to keep worrying, right? Some of you say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will be anxious, all right? Some of you say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I'm going to fret and worry about things that I can't control. Listen, we can, you can choose to do whatever you want to do. If you want to fret, if you want to worry, if you want to be overwhelmed, that is fine. But God's Holy Spirit lives inside of me, and God is in control, and God is on the throne, and so I'm just going to rejoice and be happy in what God is doing, even though things may not go my way, things might not have worked out the way I wanted to, that's okay, because God is in control. I'm going to rejoice in the day that God has given to me. That was not even a part of my message. That's, that's free. That's extra right there, all right? You get that for free. This is what we do at Heritage. We give. We're givers here. We just give out stuff. That was free, and some of you need to hear that this morning, to be rejoicing in the day that God has made. Let's look at the Word of God. It says in Galatians chapter number 3 and verse number 15, it says this, to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds it adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promise were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. Verse 17. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years after, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it is no longer a promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Verse 19. Why then the law? It was added because of transgression. Until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary applies more than one, but God is one. Verse number 21. Is the law then contrary to the promise of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now you understand why I need to take a moment to explain this, alright? Okay? This is a little bit deeper than God is love and God is good, right? And So let's take a moment and explain this. Let me give the, set the setting. The setting is this, is that there are three people, three groups of people you need to understand. There are Gentiles... There are Jews, and there are what's called the Judaizers, okay? So Gentiles, Jews, and Judaizers. And in the book of Galatians, all these people are having a conversation. They're, 
Paul, who's writing the book of Galatians, is a preacher who is a Jew who was saved and now is preaching the gospel. He persecuted the church. We see this in Galatians chapter number 1. But now he's helping the gospel message go out. And he is so excited because he understood that that salvation does not come by the law. He used to believe, Paul did, that salvation, a relationship with God, happened when he did all the right things, and if he did enough right things and was really, really good and didn't do a lot of things bad, that somehow that would outweigh his bad and he could get to heaven and have a relationship with God. He used to believe that. Matter of fact, he believed that so much that he used to go around and persecute people who didn't believe that. Because he was so convinced that the way you got to God in a relationship with God was through following rules and the law and being very, very, very religious. Paul understands this. He was very religious. I mean, Paul was the kind of guy, he went to church all the time, that he was always giving, he was always praying prayers, he was always doing anything that the church told him to do. He did. He was very religious and very zealous about it. But in Acts chapter 9, God came to him and totally transformed his life. And he realized, wait a minute. That salvation, a relationship with God, is not through what I do, but it's through what Jesus Christ has done for me on the cross. The gospel has set him free. And now, he totally changes his life, and he begins to preach the gospel, saying, hey, you don't have to follow the law, you don't have to be religious, I thought that too, but God changed my life, and now I want to tell you about Jesus Christ and the fact that he died, he was buried, and then he rose again, and if you accept him as your Savior, if you'll call upon him, you can be saved. And so Paul spends his whole life now coming and sharing this message. Well, he gets to the Galatian people, and he shares that same message, and God does a great work. Man, God works, and people are saved, and these Jewish uh, believers and Gentile believers, man, come to Christ, and he's so happy, and then he leaves, and he goes somewhere else. Then what happens is, as, as the Gentile believers in Galatia are growing in their faith, they're trying to, you know, they probably went to step one class uh, as well, right? And they're trying to grow in their faith, and they're trying to be disciples of Christ. These little Judaizers, which are Jewish people who believe that the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, have to follow the law even after they get saved. This is what they believe. So they believe they have to get circumcised. They have to follow the law. They have to follow the certain eating things. Otherwise, God won't accept them. They are called the Judaizers. They come in and start telling these, Gala- these uh, Gentiles, hey, listen, I know you accepted Christ, but that's not enough. You have to also follow the law in order for God to accept you. We know that's not true, but they didn't because they were just young Christians. They didn't know. They're like, okay, fine. You're, you've been in church a long time. And so I guess if you're telling me this, I guess this is what I have to do. I guess I'll do this. Well, word gets back to Paul that this is happening. And Paul says, heck no, right? That's what he does. And he begins to write this letter to the Galatians. He couldn't call them. He couldn't, you know, text message them. He had to write them a letter. And he writes this letter to the people in Galatia to tell them very clearly, this is wrong. You don't have to do this. And he begins to outline why you don't have to do this. He gets to chapter 3, and here's the question. He brings up Abraham. Abraham was a Jew who God came to and gave a promise to and said, I will make of you a great nation. He gave a promise, and Abraham believed that by faith. And we studied in Matthew chapter number 1 that the line of Abraham leads to Jesus, right? We preached the message. You can go back and watch it on YouTube called, I Didn't See That Coming. We talked about Jesus' messed up 
uh, heritage line that was, has all these dysfunctional people and all these people that had all these problems, but yet it all led to Jesus. And it is awesome sometimes that the worst thing in our life can lead us to the best thing in our life sometimes. Sometimes the biggest mistakes that we make in our life lead us to the greatest blessings. We talked about this. And so we see that Paul says, listen, you know Abraham, right? And all the Jews are like, oh yeah, absolutely. We know Abraham, of course, and Gentile. We know Abraham, yeah. Okay, did he follow the law? That's what he asked them. Did he follow the law? And they're like, mm, I don't know. And Paul says, no, he didn't. He didn't follow the law. God came to him and gave him a promise that from his line, somebody would come and bless all of the families of the earth. Now, we're not talking about Jewish families. We find this in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It says that through Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Well, here's the problem with that. If Abraham is Jewish, not all the families of the world are Jewish. I'm not Jewish. Many of you are not Jewish. So how can we be blessed from a family of, of, of Jewish people who God said they will bless all the families of the earth? You're telling me that somebody is going to be born in the line of Abraham who's going to be able to bless all the families of the, of the earth. I wonder who that could be. I'll, give you, I'll fill it in. Ready? It's Jesus. That Jesus was going to come and through his sacrifice, through his redemption, through his resurrection, he would present the gospel to us. And now all of us can be blessed. The reason why we are saved and we have Christ in our hearts is because the promise that God gave to Abraham. So all we need to do is believe upon that promise and we can receive the same blessing as Abraham did. You follow me so far? All right, I'm trying to go. I'm trying to go as fast as I can here and get to get the other part of the message. So understand that. So now, here's what happens. So then the Judaizers come in in chapter 3, and they look at Paul, and they look at the, these uh, Gentiles, and say, well, wait a minute. If Abraham didn't follow the law, then why did God, 430 years later, give the law to Moses? And so they begin to try to prove their point. They say, ha ha, gotcha, see? Ha ha ha, see? That's why. Because God wants us to obey the law. So see, these Gentiles need to obey the law because, yeah, God gave a promise to Abraham. Fine, we agree on that. But if God gave the law to Moses later, that's because he knew, oh, not only do I want you to believe the promise, but I want you to obey the law, and that way you can have a relationship with me. And Paul says, no, you're wrong. The law and the promise have nothing to do with each other. Did you ever meet someone who's always trying to prove their point no matter what, right? And even when, even when they, they kind of know they're wrong, right? You're arguing with them, right? And they, they, you can tell in their face, like, they know they've lost the argument, right? Some of you think about your husband or your wife right now, right? Okay? And then you know they've lost the argument, but they just, they just keep going, right? It, it, because they may be wrong, but they're going to go down swinging, right? Okay? And they just keep going and keep going. This is what's happening. So Paul is literally dismantling these, these Judaizers' uh, theory, and he says, look, the law has nothing to do with the promise, and it's totally separate. And so then he says, why did the law come? He said the law came not so that we would obey the law and find fulfillment in the law and find a relationship with God in the law. The law came to show us that we could not obey the law. The law came so that God could speak to people who thought they could be good enough who thought they could be perfect, 
who thought they could have it all together. And so God brought the law in to show them that you'll never measure up to God's standard. You'll never be perfect. You'll never have it all together. And that's okay because I provided some good news that you don't have to have it all together. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to worry about all those things. You simply need to trust in my son Jesus Christ and he will forgive you of all your sins. See, that's what the law was for. And he begins to tell them this because he wants them to understand this. That when God makes a promise, there's some things that you need to remember about God's promises. And the whole time, the underlying foundational thought is this, is that the law cannot save you. That you will never have a relationship with God by being religious. Can I say that as clear as I possibly can? You will never have a personal relationship with God by being religious. You could come to this church. You could sit on the front row. You could wave pom-poms while I preach. You could give all your money to, in the offering box. You could, you could sweep the parking lot. You could help every person into this. You could do all kinds of things in this church. But if you don't have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, it does not matter how religious you are. Because even good people will die and go to hell. And I say that with all the love in my heart. That we have to be careful sometimes that as religious people, we don't hold on to our religious experience. Our God experience. Salvation is not an experience. It's not an emotion. It is a conscious decision that you make. It's like, I want to stand here in the middle. I'm going to stand over here now. I'm going to stand back in the middle. See that? Conscious decision that I make. Here's what someone needs to do to begin a relationship with Christ. I know that I'm a sinner. I know I can't get to heaven on my own. I can't be good enough. I'm making a conscious decision to accept Christ as my Savior. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's not something that you say, how did you get saved? Well, one time I was like taking a bath, right? And I was sitting there and I was really stressed out. And, you know, I'll tell you, when I was taking a bath, it was like, man, this, the water, it was, it was kind of cold, but this like warm air, this warm breeze came by in the bath, and, and, I just, and then all of a sudden I looked up and there was a dove that flew by. And when that dove flew by, I think it said, Jesus, right? And when it said, Jesus, right, I, I, thought, I thought, there it is, there it is. Now, I'm being funny, all right? I'm being funny. I'm not trying to mock anybody's you know, experience like that. But I'm telling you, I say that because sometimes we can hold on to that. Because that is more sensational than doing this. And I'm telling you that Paul is coming to these folks saying, listen, listen, you're looking for some sensational spiritual experience to happen. You're looking for some incredible thing where God's going to come down right from the sky. You're going to look up and see the face of... It doesn't work like that. Here it's very simple. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's it. There it is. And so Paul spends all this time telling them this, that salvation is simply a decision that you make to trust Christ, not follow the law, not be religious, and not hang on to some religious experience. And if you'll do that, you'll be saved. And my friend, can I say this to you, whether you're watching online or in this room, I want to say to you very clearly, if there's never been a time in your life where you have made a conscious decision to accept Christ, I didn't say, well, I, I pray. I didn't say pray. I didn't say go to church. I didn't say, well, I, you know, I try to, you know, I try to follow, the, you know, follow the Bible. If there's not been a time where you have constantly said, I know I'm not a sinner, I'm a sinner, I need to accept Christ as my Savior, and I'm putting my faith in Christ right now. For me, that was November 19th, 1999.
1997. You say, how do you know that? Because it was a conscious decision that I could remember the time that I did. Now, if you don't remember the time, that's okay. But understand how clear Paul is making it. So then Paul says to them, he says, look, the reason why you have to understand that it's not about the law and it's not about, it's not about you following the law is because when God makes a promise, there are three things that you need to remember. Number one, we see in the passage here that when God makes a promise, remember this, it's always intentional. It's always intentional. If you look at verse number 15, it says this. It says, to give a human example, brothers, even when a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to offsprings who is Christ. God gave a promise to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12, and the purpose of that promise was that Christ would come and be the Savior of the world. God gave a promise, and it was intentional. Every promise that we have in the Word of God, every time you open up the Bible and you read a promise, understand this, there's always a purpose for the promise. There's always a reason why God put that promise in there. You say, why? Well, the Bible says that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. There's nobody that knows us any better than God. He made us. He created us. And because He created us and because He knows us, He knows what we fear. He knows what we worry about. He knows what we're overwhelmed about. He knows right now the thought that just came into your heart about something that you're thinking about tomorrow that you're trying to deal with in your life right now. He knows that thought right there. He knows all the things that you're dealing with. And so he said, you know what? I know you. I know how you think. I know how you act. I know what's going to overwhelm you. I know what's going to worry you. And so therefore, I'm going to put some promises in my word so that hundreds of years later, when you're worried, when you're scared, when you're fearful, you can go to that promise. Why? Because there's a purpose for every promise that God makes. God's not in the business making up promises, hoping that he can remember to keep them. Every single promise God makes is for a purpose. And God has a promise for whatever situation you are going through. I guarantee you, look it up. Try to find me a promise. I don't try to make like really bold claims like this, but I'm going to make a bold one here right now. And if you prove me wrong, we'll go grab lunch or something or grab a coffee, right? You, you look at your situation and you think, man, I, I, I tell you what, I bet you God didn't think about this. I bet you God didn't know this was going to happen. And so I, I don't think there's anything in the Bible that would, would, would speak to my situation. I don't think there's any principle or any promise that I can hold on to because surely God doesn't know how complex my life is. No, I think he does. And that's why in the Bible we see promises that say, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It says, I've not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, a mind that is, that is focused on him. The Bible talks about how God is with us. He is our comforter. He is our guide. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. No matter what you're going through, God already thought about it. And so he put a promise in the word that says, I got your back. I got you covered. There's a purpose for every promise. So we see that God's promises are intentional. There's always a purpose. You say, well, what's the purpose? Is the purpose to give me what I want? Is the purpose to get me, get me what I desire? No, the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 4, it says, by which he also granted to us precious and very great promises, so that through them you might become partakers of the divine nature. God is not putting you through what you're going through so you can get what you want on the other side. If you're going through something right now, which I'm sure maybe one or two people are right in this room, but if you're going through something right now, don't focus on what you're trying to get. Focus on how you're trying to grow. 
Because the beauty is not what you get in the trial. The beauty is how God grows you in the trial. And when we hold on to the promises in the tough times, God grows us. We become partakers of the divine nature. That God is not trying to make sure that your life is made in the shade with lemonade. He's not trying to do that. What He's trying to do is trying to say to you, listen, my child, I know you're scared. I know you're overwhelmed. I know financially you're trying to figure it out. I know you're worried about a loved one in your, in your family. I know you're wondering how the kids are going to turn out. I know, you're, I know you. I created you. I put promises in. And I'm not trying to give you everything you want because honestly, sometimes we'll get to the end of our trial and we'll end up not getting what we thought we were going to get. But we, we grow how God wants us to grow, then the trial was not wasted. And so God says, trust me in this time. Know that everything I do is intentional. There's a purpose and there's a promise you can hold on to. Paul says, listen, I'll tell you, the law doesn't outweigh the promise of Abraham. Why? Because God makes a promise. And when God makes a promise, it is intentional. Can I say this? When God makes a promise, it's unchangeable. It's unchangeable. Look at verse number 17. It says this, this is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years after, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God. So as to make the promise void, for if the inheritance comes by the law, it is no longer comes by a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Paul was saying this, listen, just because the law came in doesn't change the promise. Why? Because when God makes a promise, it's intentional. When God makes a promise, it's unchangeable. It doesn't change based upon your circumstances. God is not looking to say, oh, I wonder what's going on in your life. Oh, well, that promise doesn't apply, and that promise doesn't apply. When God makes a promise, it's absolutely unchangeable. I know a lot of things have changed recently. I know we've had different leadership. I know a lot of things have been adjusted. I'll tell you one thing, and one person hasn't changed. Can I remind you? God hasn't changed. My wife tells me that sometimes when I get to preach, I make funny faces, like, like mean faces like this, right? She's probably commenting right now on that, right? She, she's, my, she's my preaching coach. My wife's my preaching coach, right? I ask her every, every week, how to do? She went, she'll go, nope. She'll go, try again next week. I said, okay. Okay, honey, I appreciate that encouragement. No, she encourages me. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm really happy about this. God, let me say this right now. God hasn't changed. Yeah, but a lot of stuff's changed over here. Okay. But what about this over here? That's changed. And this changed. And that changed. And some of you need to change your pants right now after that just happened because right? you were scared right there. But I'm telling you, God hasn't changed. No matter what the news says tomorrow, God hasn't changed. No matter what you face in work tomorrow, God hasn't changed. No matter what you deal with in your life, no matter what uh, family situation you're going through, no matter what you're going through in your life right now, let me remind you and encourage you and, and put strength in you by the, by the power of God. Listen, my friend, I know a lot of things have changed, and sometimes we worry about those changes. We wonder what's going to happen, but I'm telling you this morning, hey, God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And listen, if he hasn't changed, I'm not going to stop trusting him now. I'm not going to give up on him now. I'm going to keep following him. Why? The Bible says in Psalms 46, it says, God is a refuge and strength, a very precious and help in time of trouble. Therefore, will we not fear? I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to wonder. I'm not going to give up or give in or throw in the towel. Why? Because yeah, they've changed. And yes, that's changed. But God hasn't changed. He's the same. 
And His promises have not changed either. Because when God makes a promise, it's intentional. When God makes a promise, it's unchangeable. And when God makes a promise, it's transformational. Transformational. I'll give you what in verse number 22, it says this. It says, but the Scripture imprisoned everything under, the, under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Why do we have the promises of God in our life? Because God is trying to transform our life from trusting in ourselves, resting in our ability, and He's trying to transform us from the inside out so that we will trust Him, so that we'll, number one, believe on Him if we don't have a relationship with Him. And number two, that we'll trust Him in every single area of our life. You know, as, as a dad, sometimes I'll promise my kids things, you know? And sometimes I have to, like, you know, keep a, keep a like, little list of what I promise. Because though, though I forget, can I just be honest with you? They don't. Right? And there, it, it's quite often, sometimes we'll be sitting there and, you know, one of my boys will go up to me and say, Dad, do you remember when you said <laughs> that you would do, you know, it'll, it'll throw something out. And I go, I said that? I, I said that? That we're going to do that? Right? When did I say that? I want verification. I want proof. I want it in writing, right? And I'll tell you, I'll tell you, you know, here's my son. You know why my son doesn't have to verify it and doesn't have to you know, hold on to it and put it in writing and hold me against it. You know why? Because as his father, he has enough faith and just enough vulnerability to believe that when his dad makes a promise to him, it's intentional. It's unchangeable. It's tra transformational. And so he comes to me with the faith of a little child, believing that I will come through on the promises that I've made because of who I am. And as a human father, sometimes I fail. But when God makes a promise, and we're overwhelmed by life, we can go to God and say, hey God, do you remember when you said this? Is that still true? Can I still hold on to that? Can I trust that promise in that moment in my life? And God says, absolutely. Because when I make a promise, it's intentional. It's unchangeable. And it's transformational. It's about you drawing close to me. I'm so thankful for the promises of God this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you so much. God, we are thankful.